Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Crowd Assist Podcast. As always, I'm Maniac, joined by my co-host Topher. Crowd Assist Podcast is sponsored by Picasso's Pizza. For the best deals on the best pizza in Western New York, go to picassospizza.net to get the best deals on the best pizza in Western New York. This week, we got the Cleveland Browns. We're coming off a great game against the Washington Redskins, and we are joined by Rockpile reports Drew Gear. Drew, thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Drew, you're the first two-time guest in Crowd Assist uh po- Crowd Assist podcast history. We're always happy to be making history on this show, and it seems like you're making quite some waves this season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've uh we've made a lot of new friends. We've lost a lot of old ones this season. Uh, what can I say? Bill- Bill's social media is a wild place. It really is. It, it's not safe at any time. You head on a swivel at all times. The climate's always changing. It's 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 much like the Buffalo weather. It's just you you never know what you're gonna get. You never know the mood people are gonna be in, what people are gonna get mad at, and I for one love every second of it. Oh, absolutely. It's the wild west out here. It is the Wild West, an ever-evolving landscape, and one that you've had a huge impact on, Andrew. Obviously, you guys have been doing work at Rock Power Report for quite a while now, you and Chris. The post-game shows this year have especially taken off, as well as your live tweeting during the games. People have come at you for your Josh Allen takes. I mean, what's the key to not taking social media too seriously when it seems like everyone treats it like life or death? I'm not going to lie to you. I, I hate social media. And, and Chris and I are kind of on the same page with that. So literally the only reason, like, people have come to us and said, hey, why don't you, you know, so that we don't confuse who's tweeting what, you two should have your own accounts. And the thing we have to tell people is if it wasn't for this podcast, neither we wouldn't even have Twitter. <laughs> Twitter wouldn't even be a thing in my life. We're doing it simply because someone somewhere tricked us into believing it would be a good idea in, in terms of disseminating the podcast. Hey, you guys are creating conversation, you know? You might not enjoy oh, the service. Creating conversation is right. See, here's what happens. I'm a, there's a lot of people on Bill's Twitter who try to see – they see themselves as analysts. They see themselves as conversation starters. I'm a fan first, fan first and foremost. I'm also a heavy drinker. When you put the two of those things together and you put a cell phone in someone's <laughs> hand, things come off the rails pretty quickly. And it's funny because – I've watched in a singular game where we'll lose upwards of 30 to 40 followers in the course of a single game. And then by the following Sunday, we actually have 10 more from where we started before kickoff the previous week. You just got to ride the wave. You just got to ride the wave. Sometimes you got to take one step back to go two steps forward. But that wasn't the Bills this past week against the Redskins, Drew. It was relatively smooth sailing, a nice you know, early lead in the first half, up 10-0 and then 17-3. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from the Redskins matchup, them being 6-2 and two, and the reaction to all that? Well, honestly, uh, first of all, 6-2, and two, I, I mean, I know people got mad, but you can't get mad at Jerry Sullivan when all, he's, when, I, when all he does is present facts. You can hate the guy for a lot, but you can't hate him for facts. And the fact is, is that, the Bills 
hadn't been six and two before week eleven since the year two thousand. It's been almost two decades. So the fa- I don't care how they got there. I don't care whether it was pretty or ugly. The fact that we're sitting here at six and two, first of all, that's rarefied air for the Buffalo Bills. I think that what they showed us on Sunday was probably the cleanest version of what this team can be. If they play mistake-free football, they didn't. T- they only took two penalties against, which is unheard of because they were averaging eight a game. It, it was uh, no turnovers. You couldn't have asked for a more efficient game. And I think that when the Bills are at their best, you're going to get what you saw on Sunday. Yeah, I completely agree. You saw the uh, they executed. It was a little sloppy when they got down to the red zone, but they executed. Josh Allen was able to punch it in. Um, and then you saw plays from the defense, like the depth corners, like Taron Johnson making some great plays and special teams. Uh Andre Roberts had the big return. Obviously, it looked like he kind of stepped out there um, on the Bills side of the field, but still three phases of the game rolling. That's exactly, like you said, the cleanest version of the team that we're going to get and the one that's going to win games down the stretch. You hope. I mean, you hope that that's enough. Because honestly, I think that efficiency is pretty much our ceiling at this point. The best version of the Bills on offense in 2019 you're not going to see many explosive plays. I mean, Devin Singletary was electric. That run of 49 yards tied the longest run of play of the season, and we only have two of them. You watch, so when you're looking around the league and you see how this is an offense-driven league and you see teams that seem to just air the ball out, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, the, the, those types of teams that just seem to run these, have these ridiculous touchdowns week after week after week, long scoring plays. That's not who the Buffalo Bills are going to be in 2019. What you saw on Sunday, if they play their best, what you're going to see is an efficient game that grinds the opponent down. You know, you probably see a lot more seven or eight play drives rather than your two or three or four play scoring drives. And now it's not to say they can't happen, but right now I've seen nothing to indicate that they're going to be anything other than what we saw, which isn't the worst thing in the world when you're solid on defense. I was just going to ask, with that kind of efficient gameplay, what do you think the ceiling for this team is? I mean, I feel like once you get down the stretch and into the postseason, that's almost the kind of brand of football you want is the one that kind of grinds the clock and has long drives and then has a defense that's able to kind of stifle the other team. No, that's absolutely it. I mean, but then uh, there again, there is something to this offensive trend. I mean, we pointed it out again. Again, this is why I don't make many friends on social media. (laughs) At least not, not not here and now on Bill's Twitter. But we pointed out a couple weeks ago during one of our shows when I was talking about Brian Dable and just talking about the state of the offense. When you look at the playoffs from last season, every team that finished in the top 15 for defense, like all of the teams that made the playoffs finished in the top 15 of the NFL for defense. But when you look at the teams that made it to the divisional round, who actually won a game and advanced, all eight of those remaining teams we're in the top 10 for offense. So what that tells you is that in order to get to, to get beyond the wild card round, you got to be able to put points on the board because everybody at that level has a good defense. And that's where I think we really do need to pay attention to the development of the bills over the coming weeks. Hey, love it. And I think I agree wholeheartedly with what you guys are saying. I think the defense is a, you know, something you can depend on and you know exactly where you're getting out of it. It's the continued growth of the offense that we want to see out of this Buffalo Bills team. Two points I want to go on with that with you, Drew, before we go on and look ahead to Cleveland week and everything we got going on. With Josh Allen, are you happy with 
how he's quote unquote taking care of the ball. Obviously, he's cutting down on the interceptions, but the fumbles are still an issue. I mean, do you hold him majorly accountable for that, or is that part of the give and take of having a quarterback who runs around? And secondly, where are we at on the usage of Devin Singletary? Is this going to be a player that we can get at least 15 touches out of a game going forward, or is he not ready for that at the NFL level yet? Well, I see two things. First of all, on Josh Allen, everybody, everybody, everybody and their mother remembers me ripping Josh Allen. I still hear about it. That was a month ago. And I've, <laughs> and I've had some heated debates with WGR 550's Nate Geary, with New York Upstate's Matt Perino, some people who, Eric Turner from Cover One, people who know more than me. I'm willing to admit it. They're far smarter individuals than I am about Josh Allen. And I've come to the conclusion, because I'm always a fan of healthy debate, because sometimes it, it helps you check your own biases. And I, I've come to terms with the fact that, no, Josh Allen is not going to be, he's not going to be Kyler Murray. He's not going to be Deshaun Watson. He's not going to be any of these guys. He's going to continue to be Josh Allen. And so in that, you just have to look at what he does well. He's When you look at the fact that last season he had very few games, if any, where he completed 70% of his passes, now he seems to be in that 60 to 70 range pretty regularly. There's growth there. He's pacing the offense. He's making plays when he needs to. And I think that he keeps defenses honest because of his running ability. He hasn't been flexing it this year, but he absolutely could. And the threat of that alone has allowed him to make some opportunities with what I'd call a average at best wide receiver group. I think that Josh Allen is trending in a positive direction. And I think that as long as we can continue adding pieces around him, while also getting a little bit more savvy in terms of play design from our coordinating staff, I think he's, his growth is going to take us to a good place. Now, you mentioned Devin Singletary, and you want to talk about growth. On that topic, this kid has grown so much from week one. When you saw him get the ball week one or two, three, you know, before his hamstring injury, he could make a flashy play or two, but he was almost just as likely to miss his hole, to miss his read, create a negative play. This week was the first week he saw more than 10 touches, and he utilized them well. I mean, he had three plays of 17 yards or more. He paced around. He's the first Bills player since LaShawn McCoy, back during the snow, the, the, the blizzard game, to get 140 total yards in a single game. He averaged 6.1 a touch, and that beat McCoy's total that day. So with that said, he's an explosive piece that's been missing from this offense. I think that as he, again, because running back, that's one of those positions where you see guys who, you know, after a short period of time seem to acclimate pretty quickly to the NFL game. It's probably one of the few positions on offense that is, is similar to the pro game at the collegiate level. So... I think he's coming along nicely, and as long as our coordinator doesn't put him back on the shelf, I think you're going to see more performances like you saw on Sunday than fewer. Love it. Sheesh. I mean, I think every Bills fan will be happy with that. It's just a matter of, you know, obviously we want to keep him healthy. You don't want him getting, you know, hurt again and on the shelf like he was for a couple of games. But at the same time, it's hard not to have him out there when he's so dynamic and such a weapon. Speaking well, of being well, yeah. I was going to say, before we move off this point of Singletary, I just want to say one thing. So we were talking in this podcast about personnel utilization and how the problem with running Frank Gore all of the time is that he makes your offense predictable. Frank Gore, there was a guy over at Buffalo Rumblings, Sean Murphy, who wrote a great article about how when, 
whenever Gore is on the field, he gets the ball 57% of the time. When he's on the field, Lee Smith is on the field almost snap for snap. The two of them never miss a beat with each other. The problem with running just Frank Gore is that he seems to, in the mind of Brian Dable, have made our offense much less dynamic. He uses fewer differing personnel groups, different packages. Whereas with Singletary, you saw on Sunday, he used at least four or five different packages of personnel with Singletary still on the field. And we were successful with that. I think as Singletary sees more run, you're going to see this offense open up a little bit and start scoring some more points. Well, hey, sign me up. I don't think anyone's going to be upset about that. Speaking of signing us up, Drew, I mean, we have you're a first for being a two-time appearance on the Crowd Assist podcast. And I heard a rumor from my intern that you are going out to dinner tonight with another former guest of ours, Reed Ferguson. Can you confirm that? I, I can, in fact, confirm that rumor. The rumors are true. Um, it's, it's funny because we met Reed. Because when he was on the practice squad, now, when you're a practice squad player, you don't make a whole lot. I mean, people say, oh, you're a professional athlete. You're getting played to, paid to play a game. Well, you're, you're making the equivalent of about $38,000 a year. You practice with the team. You work out with the team. You go through meetings with the team. But you don't travel with the team. And you don't play on Sundays. So with that said, when he first came up here, it, it, I guess it came about to me that Chris had grown up in the neighborhood with Reed and his family and was quite familiar with him and his brother. So it made sense that while he was looking for someplace to stay, he might as well stay with Chris. <laughs> and we got to know Reed and kind of develop a friendship with him in that way. And it's funny because people, you look at athletes, most of them are just guys. They're just guys with a really cool job. You know, for every Antonio Brown who considers themselves, <laughs> I, I don't know, the best thing since the Bible and sliced bread at the same time. Blonde mustaches. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Trying to be an icon. Then what you, or guys like Cam Newton who feel like every single press conference is an opportunity to uh, change your wardrobe, have people, uh, I don't know, question how heavy your loafers are. It's just, it's, it's I mean, the, the man was wearing pink capris. But, uh, but for every one or two of those guys, there's a million guys who are just dudes who happen to have an awesome job, and they've got they're just normal people, just like you and me. And so it's a lot of fun to have gotten to know him and kind of gotten close with him. And he's appalled by the fact that I've never been to Chick Fil A. So wow, I'm popping Chick Fil A cherry this evening. You guys have wow. any advice on what I should order? Well, just be safe when you go in there, first of all, because with Popeye's coming back into the mix, it's kind of a dangerous, uh, dangerous climate out there for uh, speaking of debates and all this like Popeye's versus Chick-fil-A has just been out of control. So um, be safe and stick with either number one or two on the menu. Those are just the staples. Not going to lie to you, this does feel like a Bloods and Crips kind of thing, because I've been staunchly team Popeye's for the better part of a decade. Wow. Oh, okay. So you, 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 have you had the chicken sandwich at Popeye's? Can you no. comment on that? No, I, try, oh, I try not to eat fast food at all, but when I do Popeye's is my guilty pleasure. Okay. You know, you get the two or three piece, oh, two piece, oh, yeah. two or three piece spicy with a biscuit. Forget about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. The so. spicy combo at, at, at Popeye's. Don't get me wrong. Even I've Bethany, but I'm a big Chick-fil-A guy. So I'm very interested to see your take. Drew, you're obviously you're going uh, tonight, not to give away Thursday. This episode will be releasing Friday night, so check Drew's timeline for all of his takes at Rockpile. Will you be going on that on the Rockpile Report account, obviously, right? Absolutely. Oh, you, you should go live from uh, 
Chick-fil-A. I think that the, that's what the people need. <laughs> we'll consider it. We'll consider it. And speaking of what the people need, and this is what that's what this podcast is all about, the Crowd Assist Podcast, it is Cleveland Week. Going into this season, if I had told you that we would be entering Cleveland Week with the Bills at 6-2 and two, and the Baker Mayfield-led Browns at 2-6, and six, you would have slapped me silly and called me Sally. But uh, I hate to tell you, folks, that's what we got. We have the Bills in position to not only go to 7-2, and two, but equivalent of putting a nail in the coffin for the Cleveland Browns season if we move them to 2-7 and seven this weekend. Drew, what are the biggest things going into this weekend that stick out to you? What do the Bills have to do, and what are the biggest keys for this game going in? Well, two of, the, two of the things that stick out to me, we talked about it in this week's podcast. There, there's some things that are fundamentally wrong with the Browns. Everybody can see that. I mean, they've got four games where despite all of the weaponry they have on offense, they've only managed to score 13 points. That's happened to them four times. There is something broken with their offense. And everybody wants to say, oh, well, it's just the play calling. It's just the offensive line. Well, here's an interesting thing that I noticed when I was looking over the numbers. Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry are two of the most talented wide receivers in football. There is a complete disconnect between them and their quarterback at this point. And it's when you look at the statistics and you see that each of them have been targeted 67 times, and yet they've only caught half of the passes that are thrown to them. In terms of wide receivers who have been targeted 30 times or more this season, that puts them at 55th and 64th in the entire NFL for catch percentage. That's below Zay Jones, people. Below Zay Jones efficiency from Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. There's a bigger disconnect there between the quarterback and those two wide receivers, and those are the guys that they're leaning on most to pace their offense. I think that stands out more than anything. Does it scare you at all that, like like uh, Maniac mentioned, it's kind of it could be the nail in the coffin for the Browns? I'm kind of, you know, feeling hearing the same conversation as when Philly was coming into town. Their backs are against the wall. Does it kind of scare you that they might be a desperate team going into this? Oh, race? Absolutely, absolutely. Because this Bills team, if there's anything, it's it's a positive and a negative. It's a double-edged sword for the Bills. They never get seem to get too high, and they never seem to get too low. The problem is, is this is a game where you have to come in hot. You have to be high. You have to come in because you have to match the other team's intensity. And the reason for that is because whenever you play a team that's being as publicly maligned as the Browns have been over the last two weeks, these guys are all professional athletes. They have egos. They have pride on the line. If you're, if you're a guy like Freddie Kitchens, your job may be on the line. These players... They follow this coach, and Sunday is going to be indicative of whether or not he's lost the locker room, because if he hasn't, kind of in the way everyone talked about Doug Peterson losing the Eagles, right until the Eagles came out and stomped a mud hole in the Buffalo Bills. And then everyone said, and then look, all of that talk about the Eagles being overrated evaporated. The same thing, I think Freddie Kitchens knows the same thing can happen for him. If he comes out here and puts... Uh, together the kind of game like the Browns had against the Baltimore Ravens. You know, you're talking about another team everybody's super high on. The Browns beat them, I think they scored 40 points in that game. So I, I definitely think that from an emotional standpoint, this Bills team has to come in, and they have to be ready for the Browns to throw everything in the kitchen sink at them. Because it's, this is, their their backs truly are against the wall, and that makes them dangerous. Oh, absolutely nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal. 
Um, so I think we've gone over the Browns. I mean, obviously there's a lot there. I, the, the most encouraging thing to me, I guess, is that I've seen games where Baker's lit it up. I've seen games where Chubb has had a good game. And even though they're getting Kareem Hunt back this week, obviously that's a whole other variable. But at the end of the day, a lot of teams have seemed to have the, have had their way on offense with this Browns defense. I'm looking at the last four weeks. Coming out of the gate in the first half, the last four weeks, every team has scored at least 17 points in the first half on this Browns team. So there were some good teams that the Cleveland Browns played. But I got to think, Drew, that there's a ton of film out there on how to be effective against this Browns defense in the first half coming out strong in Cleveland. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's held the Browns defense back a lot this season has just been injuries. I mean, they lost Christian Kirksey, who was supposed he's their highest paid middle linebacker. He was supposed to be their kind of sound tackling. You know, he he was their run stuffer. He was the guy who was going to keep the running backs in check for their defense. He's out. Then they lost another linebacker. They're essentially ridiculously light at that position. Then you throw in the fact that their starting corners have been in and out of the lineup all season. I think their starting safety, uh, (coughs) Randall, he's just coming back to practice this week after a handful of weeks. So the health of them is going to be something to pay attention to. I think that for an offense, though, that isn't as dynamic as some of the other offenses out there, there, there is cause for concern. But you're also encouraged when you saw a guy who no one had ever heard of, Brandon Allen. Nobody knew who this guy was, throwing to wide receivers that nobody knows. And somehow, the Broncos managed to beat the Browns with an unknown at quarterback, with a questionable cast of skill position players. I think one of the things you're going to find is if you can pick on their linebackers, you can whether whether it's with a guy like Singletary on screen passes like you saw against the uh, Redskins, or if you can just get Frank Gore going between the tackles and draw him in for play action, you can clear out room for Beasley over the top and behind them. They There's going to be room for us to make plays. It's just on us to have another efficient game and execute. Uh, real quick, couple quick thoughts as you were as you were saying that stuff. Can someone please call into Mike Francesca? and ask if the three Allen quarterbacks ever just get together and hang out. Do you guys remember that call? Do you guys remember that call when some, someone asked, like, if the San Francisco Giants and New York Giants ever, like, just get together and hang out? And I think Francesco almost had an aneurysm. So I think that'd be, that'd sure, be uh, some good content. I'm sure it drew him nuts. And the thing that drove me nuts last week, all three Allen quarterbacks covered the spread. Wow. There's, there's definitely How something awesome. to that. It was the first time in NFL history three players with the same last name won a football game on the same day. Wow. Three quarterbacks with the same last name. How Unreal. <laughs> and speaking of Mike Francesa, uh, the fartgate, fartgate is real. I mean, you want to talk about something blowing his mind. The fact that he farted on air and then tried to deny it, and now no one will let it go. So yeah. they've been calling to do a show day after day. It's hysterical to me. Yeah, uh, I mean, you knew he would deny it, but you just can't deny it if, if you're in that position. Uh, um, and then another another uh, quick point about the Browns defense, Miles Garrett. I mean, got to watch out for that dude. Um, I think he has the second most stats since last year, or stats, sacks since last year um, in the NFL. So if you're Allen, a guy who's kind of fumble prone, you got to be careful uh, for a guy like that, obviously. Oh my God! With I, I, everybody, I don't, I don't know if you're religious, but you pray, you burn some sage. Um, if there's an Indian rain dance, to, that, that might help our offensive line. I don't know. 
I don't know what it's going to be, but pray for Josh Allen's safety because our tackle play has not been great this year against guys who rush with speed or guys who rush with, I guess what you want to say is an above average amount of power. And this guy has both between he, between Ogba, between Olivier Vernon. They have a wrecking crew on their defensive line. And that's the one thing that scares me in terms of their defense is going to be their ability to just demolish our game plan because our offensive line can't. I mean, that's what the Eagles did. And you saw how that ended. So I'm just, I'm having flashbacks already. And I just hope that things don't go painfully awry up front for us. Getting the sage out. Getting the sage out. No doubt. It might be time to get the sage out. The one thing before we go into predictions, Drew, though, that's very, I mean, it fills me with optimism. This Browns team had, like, it was it was basically a must win for them last week against the Broncos. They were facing a quarterback making his first start, Brandon Allen. And even with that, they still allowed 6.4 yards per carry across Phillip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, you know, like, so it seems to me like with a game plan that can be effective, I mean, we should be able to go into Cleveland and dictate the pace against these guys. I genuinely, we should be able to, but I genuinely believe it's not, it's not about what we do on offense. This is one of those games where I, I don't, I think that even the worst version, the most watered down version of your offense, like picture the Tennessee Titans game, that offense that managed 14 points, that team can win this game. If the defense is smart and because their offense, again, hasn't, it, has, it hasn't found a rhythm. Their biggest playmakers haven't found a way to contribute. One of the wrinkles to me that stood out that, you know, just after watching tape and reading different things and reading reports coming out of Cleveland, Baker Mayfield in 2018, you know, we talk about the, the Bills and their sack, their, their sack numbers, and they're not great. You know, Jordan Phillips leads the league in sacks by a D tackle, but for the rest of the line has kind of been up and down. Sacks haven't materialized the way that we were hoping they would after being down last year. In 2018, Baker Mayfield was one of the best quarterbacks. He was like top five in the NFL against the Blitz. So coming into this season, what defenses have started doing is what they call a creeper blitz, which is essentially just simulated pressure. You fake like you're going to send a blitz, which makes the quarterback and the offensive line account for you guys. And then you just bail out into coverage. And what they found is that that's been the source of all Baker Mayfield's worst games are the teams that utilize that heavily on second, third down. I think that now there's, I mean, San Francisco, Denver last week, uh, to the Titans week one when they played in Cleveland. I think that the Bills have the tools on defense to absolutely, you know, there's going to be turnovers. And as long as you can execute this simulated pressure, you're going you're gonna to fluster Mayfield. And if you can do that, even the 13, 14 point Buffalo Bills can win this football game. Wow. That has me feeling good. I mean, with that said, lead, lead us into it, Drew. Last week with predictions, we all predicted a relatively low scoring game and the Bills to cover the spread. They covered the spread and it was a low scoring game. We didn't, none of us nailed it because nobody ever nailed the exact score, but Drew, we were all what close, are, though. We were all what, close. Oh, very close. Drew, what are we going to see in the final score this weekend in Cleveland? Oh, I mean, I've got some predictions. I, you talk about never being able to nail the score. Here's some predictions I can tell you. Abs- I will absolutely nail. Uh, one, I'm certain that at some point on Sunday, I will be shirtless. At a, some, at a level of intoxication that uh, would probably get me arrested if I was in public. 
there's going to be some profanity. I can promise you that. And I can promise you that there is at least one Sports Center not top 10 play coming out of this game because it happens every single time the Bills and the Browns play. I mean, it should be illegal to play, for these two to play each other on U.S. soil. That's how bad they are when they get together. In terms of my prediction for the score, I'm going to say that it's a – I think the Browns come out and move the ball a little bit better than some people anticipate. I think they get to 20, and I think the Bills get to 24. And I think that's how we win this football game. Wow, 24-20 Bills. That would be that would be something to see. Tope, what are you locking in? I will also probably be intoxicated at some point uh, on Sunday. And I'm going to go with Bills 20, Browns 10. I think the Browns might jump out to an early lead. I think Kitchens uh, might empty the playbook, and we might see a couple of big plays. I mean, they have too many big names on that offense um, to be completely shut down. Um, so I think you know some people might go into panic mode, classic. Um, but ultimately, I think the Bills' defense figures it out, and uh, we punch in a couple touchdowns, a couple field goals. So I'm going to go 20 to 10 Bills. So for you and I are on the same page relatively. I think the Browns come out gunning at home in a must-win game at two and six. Um, I think they definitely ends with a, the one call I'll make for the first half. I think we are going to see an Odell Beckham pass for sure. I think they are going to try and get him involved every way they can, running, throwing to him, and having him pass the ball. Um, with that said, yeah, I think McDermott and maybe even Leslie Frazier this week they just find a way to stifle this team that. So many other teams in this league have found a way to stifle. I am going to predict Bills 23, Browns 13. It'll be a late score for the Bills, either like a late field goal or some kind of late touchdown to make it a two-score game. It'll be closer than that, but 23-13 Bills, and they go to 7-2. and two. I'll tell you this before I go. You and me, I mean, you're talking about Odell Beckham throwing a pass in this game. We gotta get, we gotta get Al. We gotta get Al in on this. We need some action. I want some. I want to. <laughs> I, I want to. You know what I mean? If we're gonna have a, I, I, I smell a prop bet here. We need to get oh, make something happen. Prop bets all over the place. And I'll tell you what, Drew. I know that, that you haven't been there yet, but no spot to be for this game in downtown Buffalo than Rec Room. It's got great big screens. Every game is on Red Zone, and the Bills on the big screen. And great deals for a boozy brunch to get your Sunday started. Drew, any other points uh, for Cleveland Week or any other shout-outs you want to make? Uh, you want to shout-out Chris since uh, since he couldn't join us? Yeah, I'll give my producer Chris a shout-out. One thing that nobody understands is that our podcast is one of the higher quality in terms of audio. That has nothing yes. to do with I'm just some idiot with a beer in my hand who shows up and rants. Chris is the, ma- Chris is the magic man. He's the one who makes it all happen. You know what I mean? Like every good offense needs a good offensive coordinator. That's what Chris is for our podcast. Secondly, I can't tell you how many times Chris has saved us just on Twitter point blank and period because he's begun confiscating my phone on on game days. When we're at the stadium, Chris somehow in one way or another ends up with my phone and just hangs on to it. And so far the last two weeks, things have gone relatively well. Just a preventive measure, just... All, all the way around, Chris is the real MVP of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I love, wow, it. I love you, it. You heard you heard it here first, folks. Drew will be intoxicated and have his shirt off this Sunday, and Chris is the MVP of the Rock Pile Report podcast. Drew, thank you for joining us. Obviously, the Bills have a huge weekend in uh, in Ohio. Hopefully, they get things done. 
Shout out to our sponsor, Picasso's Pizza. If you want the best pizza in Western New York, go to picassospizza.net for the best deals on the best pizza in Western New York. For my co-host, Topher, I'm Maniac. This has been the Crowd Assist Podcast. As you know, it's three words. Let's go Bills. Folks, welcome to the Crowd Assist postgame. I'm Maniac, joined by Nick in Tampa. Nick, the Bills are 6-2. and two. Where are you at on your fanhood? Hey, guys. It seems to be that uh, depression season looks to be coming a little early in Buffalo. I saw there was snow on the ground today. Looks like a, a tough time to be in Buffalo. I went golfing today, so in the words of Degeneration X, suck it. Um, to the Bills season, no question, the defense is what's gotten us here. Um, you know, I put that above the, the easiness of the schedule. I think that kind of almost regardless of who we've been be playing so far, um, the defense is the number one part of our success. And I would put them up against pretty much anybody. Um, as far as Josh, I don't think he's been that great, obviously, you know, 10 touchdowns, seven interceptions, but he's got that clutch gene. You know, I read that he had six game winning drives in two years, second to Russell Wilson. You know, that to me, that sounds like a a recipe for success. When's the last time, Maniac, we had a quarterback who was able to do that ever one time? I can't remember one time ever. Can you? No, I agree. I think that Josh has escaped a lot of criticism thanks to that clutch play in the fourth quarter. We're going into the second half of the season, Nick, and we are leading it off with a matchup against Cleveland. Well, Baker Mayfield, based on the porn mustache he's decided to wear uh, as of late for this no, uh, this Movember, um, he looks like a um, registered sex offender. So that's a red flag for me right off the bat. And um, I definitely would use that as bulletin board work. I think if they really push that porn mustache, you know, pedophile look, Um, I really think that that might be the X factor for bulletin board stuff that in turn would turn the Bills into this success that uh, they need. And it's time for the Bills to put the nail in the coffin that was that mustache on his no-shave November. Nick, you got a score prediction for me. Um, I don't see Cleveland doing much against that defense. I think that we continue to see um, really a lackluster offensive performance by Cleveland. And um, obviously, uh, we've seen the same for Buffalo and the offense. I think Singletary really starts to get going again. And the Bills win in a weird game that's super low scoring, like most of them. I'm saying 17-6 to Buffalo. Thank <laughs> you.